and Pogba leaves for McTominay! Magnificent! Torres, he's done it again! He has fizzed that into the bottom corner. Vardy for Chowdhury. And set for Madison! Alisson saw Salah running from his own half, so onside here, Mo Salah. Salah to settle it! In front of the cop! There's no feeling like that feeling! And now you've got to believe them. You have got to believe them. Hey guys, welcome back to episode number 16 of the 3PL podcast. I'm once again joined by Peter and Angus. We're going to be mixing up the format a little bit this week, and we're going to start by previewing the first game of the weekend on Boxing Day, which is Leicester Man United. Who wants to start on this one? What a cracking way to kick off Boxing Day, Leicester United. I'm expecting United to come straight in and boss the possession from the very start of the game. I think they're going to be in command of the ball for a lot of the game. However, I think that's going to really work towards Leicester's strengths and then to be catching and aiming to catch United on the break over and over again. Really using Vardy's pace, Madison's ability to unlock the gaps. And as a result, I think less are going to be possibly the team which is going to come out with a win. But I think it's it's going to be a really interesting tactical battle throughout the match. Yes, yeah, it's, it's going to be a very interesting game tactically because we've seen United coming into this game off the back of an absolute demolition of Leeds. And Leicester off the back of a very, very clinical win against Tottenham, which they, they did everything they had to do to win that game. So both off the back of really, really emphatic victories for their for their own reasons. And at the end of the day, it's it's second in the table versus third in the table. It's an absolutely huge clash to, to kick off the, the Boxing Day football. So exactly what you want. I think it's going to be possibly, we've said this a few times, possibly one of those games that really shapes the the destiny of those these two teams over the next few weeks. Whoever wins it gains himself a massive advantage in that fight for the top four. Yeah, around a month ago, you can imagine that May United will be in a in the title picture, really, considering their inconsistent form. You know, losing matches left, right, and centre at home. But the last five or six games, they've really started to turn things around. Um, they've come out with big holes in games, come from behind to win, and you've got to say, like Ollie's really starting to to turn things around at United, and it's something that I don't think anyone really saw coming because. You know, they were they were poor. And yeah, like we saw last time out, they destroyed Leeds 6-2. Looked really good all across the pitch. But Tom and they probably had the best match I've seen them play this season. And yeah, I think it's going to be a really tough game for Leicester, to be honest. I know they beat Spurs and, and it was pretty comfortable for them, but I don't think Spurs were anywhere near their best. And yeah, for me, this is, this is probably going to decide who gets European football, maybe Champions League, Europa League at the end of the season, because whoever loses this game will probably slip down the table a bit. But yeah, just I think it's going to come down to chance taking, I guess. And and I'd probably favour Man United over Leicester in that department. I think they have the slightly better finishers and the playmakers. And I think considering their form, I can't really see how Man United are going to going to lose this game. At least I think they'll definitely come out of it with something. Yeah, I have to agree. I think United will win it. What one thing that really concerned me from a Leicester point of view was Jamie Vardy was clearly struggling towards the end of that game against Tottenham. In an ideal world, um, for Brendan Rodgers, they'd be playing someone like Fulham, West Brom, Sheffield United this week where they could afford to give him a rest. But against Man United, they're going to definitely need to play Jamie Vardy. And I just worry that he's getting on, he's getting a bit old. He said in his post-match interview when they asked him about whether he was struggling at the end, he said, well, I'm getting old now, aren't I? And, and I think he sums it up, you know, he's not going to be able to play 90 minutes week in, week out. And especially over the Christmas period, he's going to be have to be rested at some point. If they don't rest him, there's that danger that he gets injured in this game 
um, and then misses the next few fixtures. So it's a real gamble for Brendan Rodgers as to whether he plays him or not. Um, and if he does play him, he's got to absolutely hope for the best and hope that they don't get a, a crucial injury to him. I think it's a gamble he has to take, though, for this game. Without Vardy, I don't see where where Lesser would manage to really get in behind United's defence. He's He is a key player in that squad. He, he has been for several years. I think we all know that. But especially against the pace of Maguire and Lindelof, who are neither the quickest of defenders. And even with this really good run they've been through, they've been still conceding goals. Like They conceded two against Saints. Conceded one against West Ham, two against Sheffield United, which is a real sign that your defence is leaking in places. And even in the demolition of Leeds, they still conceded two. So they are still goals to be had against them. Obviously, going the other way, they've looked brilliant at times recently, but it's that leaky defence is still possibly there. Yeah, definitely frailties in that main United side. I don't think anyone's denying that. Before we move on to our predictions for this game, I just want to put this stat out there, uh, which is that Leicester haven't actually beat Manchester United since 2014. Um, their recent record against Man United has been really, really poor. So I don't know if that will play a part in your predictions, but it definitely has for mine. So I guess I'll kick off with my prediction, which is a 2-1 win for Manchester United. I think they just have the quality on the day to see off Leicester. Their momentum recently is you know, probably going to carry them through this one, in my opinion. Yeah, I've gone with exactly the same result, 2-1 to Man United. So... Great minds think alike there. And I'm not going to agree with Evie. I think this season we've seen throughout that Leicester in the big games have really turned up. Man City match, Spurs last week. So I, I'm actually going to go with a 2-1 win for Leicester. And that is really relying on Vardy being fit. If he's not fit, then that one's already out the window before the game's even kicked off. OK, moving on to the second game on Boxing Day. We see Aston Villa hosting Crystal Palace at Villa Park. And it's an interesting matchup, to be honest. Um, both teams have struggled for form, struggled for consistency in the league, especially. I think Aston Villa obviously have you know, ridden some really good results this season. You look at that Liverpool one, and then recently they've, they've really done well to pick up results against teams they probably shouldn't have. And yeah, it's difficult to, to look past Aston Villa really in this clash because they're the home team and Palace have just shipped seven against Liverpool. Must be a little low on confidence. So... You would think the writing's on the wall for Crystal Palace in this one. But again, you've got to probably look to Roy Hodgson to get the Palace boys up for it again. And whether he can or not, I'm not sure, because leaking seven at home is is very poor. And I was kind of hoping it was going to be nine. I think from a Southampton point of view, we all hoped it was going to be a few more than that. But unfortunately, it stopped at seven. And yeah, Crystal Palace are really going to have to bounce back in this game to get anything out of it because Aston Villa are no slouches this season. And if you're not at your best, they're going to pick you apart. This is one of those really difficult games for preview because... Palace coming off a 7-0, immediately you're thinking, oh, well, that's probably going to be really poor form. It's going to carry on. However, sometimes you get that bounce back from such a shocking result where Roy will have been getting into them all week. will get them amped up again. I, I kind of, again, earlier in the season when they, they lost to Newcastle 2-0 and then went in the next week, huge game against West Brom, really needed to get their season back on track. And they went in in 1-5-1. Villa can be so up and down. They've, their results this season, they've had some amazing wins, games like Arsenal, Liverpool, like you mentioned. But at other times, losing to teams like Brighton, I just never would have expected them to have lost that game. Again, they're coming into this match on good form. Yeah, I have to agree. It's it's a horrible one to predict because neither team has been consistent at all this season. Just one really interesting stat that I noticed on this for Crystal Palace, whether it means anything or not, I don't know. But in five of their last 10 games, there's been a red card and it's only been for Crystal Palace in two of those games. Um, so their opponents have gone down to 10 men on, on quite a few occasions. And there's no real consistency in how they react to that, to be honest. They've had, they've had a, a draw, a loss, a, a win. I don't know whether those red cards are a symptom of the way Crystal Palace play or whether it's just coincidence but it just seems like an extraordinary number considering 
how how few red cards we've actually seen this season um, compared to a lot of seasons. I do think Aston Villa will probably win this one just based on pure sort of technical ability and the strength of the squad. I thought Crystal Palace against Liverpool, as much as Liverpool were incredibly good and the goals were fantastically well executed, there's got to come a point where you're losing 3-4-0 to a team like that and you shut up shop and you stop them getting those chances and they just didn't and they allowed the goals to carry on and you worry for the morale of the team suffering a result that bad going into their next game and I think Aston Villa are the perfect team to sort of take advantage of that and get a couple of goals and win the game. It was an interesting point about the red cards though, I think the reason why I think quite possibly they get a lot of red cards against them, Palace, is the, their style of football. One, their defensive approach is quite a frustrating style to play against. And then also, obviously, they're a counter-attacking team. They've got quite a few players who have won at players. Um, Schlupp, Zaha, Eze. And as a result, I think that's one of the reasons so many teams get red cards against them. It's just their style of football. Watching it frustrates me. Watching Palace gets me angry. So I can't imagine how annoyed you must be as a player. Especially when they're picking up those rubbish 1-0 wins. I think Villa are going to have a bit too much for them. I think Grealish will tear them apart at the times. Their defence is quite ponderous, especially like Cahill. And I wouldn't want, as if I was a Palace fan, I wouldn't want to see Grealish running at Cahill. Yeah, Grealish is obviously one of the, the danger men for the Aston Villa side. But, you know, Bertrand Traore, I think, played his first good game for Aston Villa at the weekend. And he's a player that I thought would come into the team and really make a difference. And I think maybe he's going to start to now. Um, exciting player to watch, great pace, great finishing ability. So I think all of these things combined, Aston Villa's recent form... I think they started their season with the best record since their season in 2001, where they finished eighth. And yeah, it's really difficult for me to look past Aston Villa. So my prediction for this game is a 2-0 Villa win. Yeah, I can't see Crystal Palace um, worrying Aston Villa's defence. They've been really solid recently and Martinez in goal is is a real mountain at the moment. So defeating him is going to be doubly difficult. Yeah, at the risk of looking like I'm just copying you, I've I've also gone with a 2-0 Aston Villa win in this one. Um, Exactly the same reasons. Just can't see Palace getting a goal in this one. And as we've all said, I think Aston Villa would just have a little bit too much. I'm going to make a prediction and say that Angus has not gone 2-0 Aston Villa. Well, I've actually written down on my notepad 2-0 Villa. (laughs) 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 However, I might, just just for fun times, I'm going to mix up and say 2-1 Villa. Maybe Palace will sneak a goal at some point in the game. But I agree, I think Villa are just going to be a little bit too strong for Palace in this match. Moving on to our next game, we have... Clash which, at the start of the season, we probably would have thought would have been relatively tight in the league. Whereas, actually, it's turned out that Southampton have been fantastic times. It's been a season to enjoy so far. And coming up against Fulham, who I imagine their fans are starting to enjoy it more than they were at the start of the season. They battled away the last few games. Three draws on the bounce. However, I think Southampton are going to be too strong for them in this match. I think our performances of late, even with the losses... Uh, the loss against Man City and the loss against Manchester United. I think all of our games throughout the whole season, bar maybe a second half against Spurs, we've looked strong throughout. We've been well drilled. And Vestergaard at the back has been incredible at times. Worryingly incredible with a January transfer window coming up. Yeah, again, this is one of those games where you look at the start of the season and you're probably a bit worried or, you know, going to Fulham's never that easy. But the way the season's panned out so far and the form that Fulham have showed consistently hasn't been all that impressive, especially at home. Um, obviously, they've started to pick up some points recently with some yeah, three consecutive draws in a row. And that has helped them build some momentum, at least like keep out the goals, which seems to be something that they're getting better at. And as for Southampton, you know, we started the season so well that I think eventually it was always going to 
stutter a bit. And I feel like that's what we've done the last couple of games. I think, yes, we played good teams, but in the Arsenal game, I definitely think we could have picked up three points and arguably should have got a point from the City game too. So it's, it's tough when you're not getting points out of those games when you deserve to, but hopefully... Uh, Ralph as the manager will be able to pick up the boys and say like you know basically we played well but just haven't got the results and I think that's exactly the story so I'm hoping that we go to Fulham and pick up the win um, I think we're a much better team and yeah I think Fulham are missing one or two key players for this clash so that should benefit us a little bit. Yeah it's strange thinking at the start of the season if if you two had been talking to me about it and you'd said you'd be disappointed with a point from Arsenal and Man City I'd have thought you were getting a bit too excited. But realistically, you know, with the form you had going into those games, you'd have thought four points would have been a reasonable expectation. A a win against Arsenal and potentially a draw against Man City was definitely on the card. So those results are definitely disappointing considering that the style of play and the form that's been going into it. I think this is the perfect opportunity, though, to pick up that form again, get another three points and and kick on again. And I just don't think Fulham are going to have anywhere near enough to try and stop Southampton coming away from the win here. The only one thing that sort of changed that slightly is obviously another injury to Danny Ings, but it, it doesn't sound like it's necessarily too bad of an injury from what I've heard. And also at the same time, you know, without Danny Ings, other players have definitely stepped in and, and filled in with those goals. I think Shea Adams has been fantastic this season. Even Theo Walcott's having a rejuvenation of his career and seems to be playing incredibly well so he he's contributing and then obviously you've always got that threat of James Ward-Prowse there to to score a free kick if it's needed as well so you look at the Southampton team and there's options all over you look at the Fulham team and you think there's not really that much there that you get too optimistic about in terms of goal scoring. Yeah I think last season the absence of Danny Ings would have really worried us as his form has been so good recently and he started the season well as well, but we showed in that period where he was out of the team with his, his knee injury that we can play a very similar standard of football. And, and if anything, we, we didn't miss him too much. Um, it'll be interesting to see how we deal with him in this game. I think it will probably cause for a change of system. Some players coming into the team who probably haven't played for a while. And I think Romeo is also suspended. So we'll have Diallo in midfield. And yeah, just a shout out to James Ward-Prowse again, really, actually, because I think he's played every single minute of every game this season and he's covered more ground than any other player in the Premier League statistically, which is just amazing considering he did this last season for us as well. And the fact that he's not being rested or wants a break from the team is credit to him and credit to how much he respects the armband at Southampton. So, yeah, just a shout out to him. Hopefully he can bang in another free kick against Fulham. Yeah, in terms of James Ward-Prowse, I think it does have to be applauded. He must put so much care into how he looks after himself outside of the the 90 minutes it'll be impossible not to if to keep up the standard he has season season out he plays every single minute for Southampton running the most out of any player in the whole league I I think actually it was the most in the whole of Europe last season so it's just incredible the just the yards he puts in Um, Diallo is I think a really key change in terms of obviously Romeo and James Ward Prowse this season have built up a really good partnership in the middle of the park and it's his dynamic and the style of football he plays is definitely going to be different. Romeo is a lot more robust, hard-hitting player. And for what I've seen from Diallo, he's not so fierce in the tackle. However, he's probably a bit more cultured with the ball at the feet. So it will be interesting to see how that mixes up the style of play. Like you said, I wonder if they all, as a result of that, we might see Armstrong dropping a bit more into central midfield and make it a midfield free. And then having Walcott and Gineppo off Shea Adams rather than um, having two up top. Be interesting to see if he does that or if he's going to stick with his tried and tested formula so far. The only real threat I see as a Saints fan is Luckman 
obviously Lamina won't be able to play. He's been playing most of their games recently. He will be cup tied. I I just can't see how. I don't see how they break us down. I don't think they've got the technical ability to do so. To be perfectly honest, I think we've seen the teams who can really get at us were with some of the best players in the in the league, some of the best players in the world. If you don't have them, so far we've been relatively comfortable. All right, let's move into some predictions then. Typically, Southampton tend to get results against Fulham. I think five of the last six matches have been Southampton wins. And I've got no reason to think that this one's going to go any different. I do back us to get the result on the day. I don't think we're a massively better side than Fulham at the moment, but I do think we'll have the quality on the day to get the win. So I'm just going to go for a narrow 1-0. All right, on the other hand, I think we are comfortably better than them. So I'm actually going to go with a 2-0 win. I think if Ings isn't out, I don't see where the goal's going to come quite as easily, but I think... Comfortably two 0 and I don't think I, I think it's going to be a bit more like the Sheffield United match. Yeah, I've gone with two one to Southampton here to make it a, a hat trick of, of wins for Southampton in our predictions. I think it will be comfortable. I, I don't I don't think there'll be any ever be a point where Fulham will threaten to win it. Um, but I can see them just sneaking a goal, especially with some of the the team changes that we're likely to see from Southampton, as you both discussed. I think there's there's always that element of maybe damaging the team chemistry, and yeah, I think there's there's a potential for a slip up that leads to a, a goal, but. Overall, a comfortable win for Southampton. So moving on to our next game, Arsenal facing Chelsea and what in the last few seasons has always been a, a massive clash of two teams fighting for the top six, top four on occasion. In reality, this time we've got Chelsea who are looking well worth a, a European place this season against Arsenal, who, I never thought I'd be saying this, are genuinely in a relegation battle as it stands. It seems ridiculous to be saying that with the quality of the squad and their history, but they are, they've got some of the worst form in the Premier League, two points from their last six games, not even against the best opposition they've been playing against. They've had some pretty winnable games in there that they've just absolutely thrown away. Chelsea, on the other hand, bounced back from two disappointing defeats against Everton and Wolves to pick up a very comfortable win against West Ham. So they're, they're looking like they're coming back into form and, and their defensive solidity has, has come back to them. So unfortunately, I can't see anything other than a, a fairly comprehensive Chelsea victory here which is it's never normally an easy game to call but this one just feels way too easy yeah when you look at this game objectively it's very hard to look beyond Chelsea to be honest everything that's been happening at Arsenal lately just reeks of you know panic and and stress and basically you know you look at their last five games and you know none of them have they performed well in and they're now without a league win for 52 days the last win came at Old Trafford on the 1st of October and seems like a lifetime ago now where you know things were looking pretty positive for Arteta but three months on and and he's probably on the verge of the sack if he gets a poor result in this game because it's a really big game as we know as fans of football Chelsea Arsenal is always one that fans look forward to and yeah if they don't get a positive result in this it's going to be really tough for them and I don't think they're going to because again they're going to be without some really key players Aubameyang apparently is rumoured to be missing this game with an injury and then again you've got Xhaka probably coming back into the team after that red card against Burnley and it's a strange team dynamic where you're bringing back players who obviously aren't fully involved in in basically what is a relegation battle and, and they're probably not going to be able to get themselves up for this game. So this has all the makings of a really horrible, horrible game for Arsenal and I can see Chelsea really cruising to a pretty comfortable win in this one. I have to agree. I think Chelsea is just going to be far too strong for Arsenal. Arsenal's form this season has been abysmal. They're not. There are a bunch of individuals who go on the pitch together. I don't see a squad mentality or coming together to try and win a game. I don't see. I don't see how they're working together to break teams down or try and win matches. They have been really poor. And against Everton, they were poor again. There was times when they were desperate for a win, and they were just giving the ball to David Luiz. And I think he even 
came out with, like, in a post-interview after saying he didn't want to get past you. He wanted people to attack. Tierney was the standout player for them. He was doing really well down the left wing. But the rest of the team were shocking. Yet again, Pepe looked really disinterested. Like, he didn't really want to be there. If he had the ball at his feet, he'd do stuff. But without it, he just didn't give, didn't give a toss, which is pretty bad to say when you're a £72 million player. Yeah, and I think it's really alarming for a team to have a £72 million player in their front line, Aubameyang in their front line, and, and also the you know Lacazette in their front line, who was, I think, what, £40 million when they signed him as well? And this team have now scored three goals in their last seven Premier League games. That's just not, that's not good enough for a relegation team, let alone for a team that should realistically be challenging for the top of the table. There's, you know, we've said it before in previous episodes, there's so much wrong with this team that it, it's really hard to look at them and see where it's going to turn around. Like, how, how is that team going to get back to winning ways with so many flaws that we see week in, week out? And I, I just don't, I've, I've got to the stage where I just don't think Arteta is the man for the job. I, I cannot see him turning this around. It's going to get to the stage where he loses the dressing room if he hasn't already. Um, and as we all know, once that's gone, you've, you've not got a chance as a manager. Yeah, in your opinion, do you think Arteta's already lost the dressing room? Um, obviously, five games without a win now and continuing struggles. Do you think the players still respect him as a manager? I personally don't. I, I, I think I think he has lost the dressing room. And if he hasn't, it, it's not going to be far off. There's no way that you're a player that's, that's signed for a club like Arsenal. You, you know, you've done that with, with the aim of winning trophies. And now you're battling teams like Burnley, Brighton and Fulham for that final relegation spot. That's not what you signed up to. And even if it is the fault of the players rather than the manager, when you're in that situation, it's going to be very hard for the players not to put some blame on their manager and lose respect for him. And I think that once that happens, it's it's too far gone. And I think he's unfortunately, it, it is too far gone for Arteta now. Yeah, I agree. I think Arteta's almost certainly has lost the dressing room. It's not like he's a club legend to have that sense of aura to fall back on he's not and he's not he was he was a good player but he was not a particularly incredible player so again the players haven't got that legendary respect for him as a player which other managers might have who've gone through difficult times and obviously being his first job he hasn't got the manual experience again to kind of like for the players to go have a vested interest in going yeah no he will come good he will battle back and we've seen with top top quality managers when they lose the squad doesn't matter how good you are as a manager once you're in a run of form like this the writing's on the wall right let's uh make some predictions then and i think they're all going to be pretty one-sided again much like they have been already so far very tough to look beyond chelsea i mean yes they were good against west ham i don't think they're their best yet but i think once Berner and pulisic start hitting form they're really going to start to take teams apart and i do expect them to do that against arsenal uh, I think Arsenal will get a goal, but I think it's going to be a 3-1 win for Chelsea. I agree with the three, but I don't see where Arsenal are going to get a goal. I'm going to go with a 3-0 Chelsea win. And just one less goal for me. I'm going with a 2-0 Chelsea win. I think Lampard will view this as a easily winnable game with an eye on the, the fixture congestion coming up. And I think if they go 2-0 up, I can see him taking off a couple of their more vital players and giving them a rest in the, in the build-up to the next few games. So yeah, comfortable 2-0 win for me. Okay, so moving on to the next game, which we have coming up, which historically has been a bit of a goal fest on occasion. We've got Man City hosting Newcastle. Man City definitely not having their best season ever, but they're starting to hit a bit of the form that we'd probably expect them to to sort of be performing at for most of the season. 
They've had some really big wins in the past few weeks and, and a couple of fairly disappointing draws as well. But overall, they're looking good. Newcastle, on the other hand, they've stayed consistently inconsistent throughout the whole season, haven't they? You never know whether they're going to come out and win or get absolutely demolished. Their last result was a draw against Fulham. Fulham obviously have picked up a bit of form, but you still would have thought with the players that Newcastle have, they should be really getting a win against that team at the moment. And then obviously a 5-2 defeat to Leeds recently as well, which for, for a Newcastle team is shocking. Unfortunately, we've said this about quite a few of the games. It's hard to look past one result in this. I think Man City are probably destined for a victory in this, and I think it could be a fairly comfortable one too. Yeah, I have to agree. We saw with Man City a couple of weeks ago, they faltered at home against West Brom, but I do think that was a blip, and I don't think it's going to be something that happens particularly often. They got a really good result against Southampton. I thought we gave them a pretty good match, but in the end, that one goal was enough to settle it for them. And yeah, you look at their last five games and they're unbeaten, starting to climb the table. And yeah, as for Newcastle, it's very difficult to, to know what to expect because... They turn up every week, like you said, Peter, and, and they play completely differently or, you know, different players play well and some don't. So it's very difficult to predict. And I think Newcastle are particularly struggling with the aftermath of the COVID hit at their training ground. They've still got players who haven't come back into their team yet. I think Jamal Lascelles and Alan Maximan are two players who are actually still suffering with the after effects of COVID. And I think without those players, they are a lot weaker. Um, I'm not sure that's going to make a huge difference in this game, though. I think Man City would probably be strong enough to get the win in, in most on most days against Newcastle. And I think probably going to cruise in this one and I probably expect Aguero to get some game time he hasn't featured recently but surely it's a matter of time before he starts games and starts knocking goals on a regular basis and if that's the case then yeah I do worry for Newcastle a bit in this one Newcastle is certainly at risk in this next game I think City like you both have said are moving in the right direction now after a bit of a shaky start and a few shaky games where they've struggled to break teams down apart from West Brom they've looked considerably stronger recently and a big win midweek in the cup against Arsenal, again showing their form. As a result, Newcastle really will be at risk. And in terms of Aguero, this is the ideal game to start betting him back into the side. Newcastle, on the whole, play a relatively low tempo compared to other teams in the league. They don't press you as hard. You're not going to, as a striker, you don't need to press their defence as much either, which means he gets to ease himself back into it. Very likely to get a goal against Newcastle. Obviously, this, as Peter said, has been a goal fest in the past. I I expect it to be a bit of a goal fest again. Yeah, one thing worth noting is that Man City now have the best defensive record in the Premier League. Um, they've only conceded 12 goals this season. I think that's credit to to players like John Stones, who's come into the team recently, and he's really started to roll back the years. Um, we saw for a couple of years that he wasn't at his best. He was replaced by various different centre-backs at City, Osamendi, Nathan Ake, but now he's back in the team and he looks to be playing really well, which is good to see. And it's obviously very good for City because defensively now they look they look very solid and it's very difficult to see them conceding in this game. So onto the predictions. I'm just going to go for a 4-0 Man City win. It's going to be convincing. It's going to be comfortable. Yeah, this is getting a bit embarrassing now. I've gone for a 4-0 Man City win. Um, <laughs> we need to need to start differentiating our results a little bit. But yeah, I just can't see anything else, especially if Aguero plays. I, I, just when you mentioned him earlier, it reminded me, I think, my favourite ever week as a fantasy football captain was when I captained Aguero and he scored five goals against Newcastle. So if you can pick up that form again, Newcastle are in for a bad day, aren't they? Yeah, I'm just frantically looking around my room now for a webcam in case you're... Clocking my results, but we'll see on the next one. Frustratingly, I also went for 4 0, so it's actually a clean sweep of 4 0s. I just can't see Newcastle managing to hold anything against them, and just it's, it's just going to be embarrassing, quite possibly. Although we could all now be embarrassed, and it'll be a Newcastle 1 0 win, and we're all going to look like absolute fools. Yeah, I'm fairly sure we all went for big predictions when Newcastle played West Brom a couple of weeks or a week ago, so. 
could easily be caught out with that one. Um, moving on, we've got Sheffield United versus Everton. Another really tough game for Sheffield United, who are still rock bottom of the league despite picking up a point last week at Brighton. It's just very difficult to see where Sheffield United are going to pick up points, to be honest. And in a matchup like this, I don't think it plays into their hands at all. Everton are starting to find some really good form like they did at the start of the season. Three wins on the bounce and it's all getting a bit repetitive now with one-way predictions, but I think that's the way this one's going to go as well. You know, I don't know where the goal's going to come from for Sheffield United and you look at that Everton team now, even without players like James Rodriguez and Alan in the midfield, they're, they're really starting to turn it on and almost play the same way regardless of the, the player, the personnel on the pitch. So, yeah, credit to Ancelotti for picking them up after that difficult run they went on. Yes, yeah, strange to say this considering how poor Sheffield United have been, but I almost thought that draw against Brighton was a bit of a disappointing result for them. Just looking at Brighton's form, in all competitions, they've got one win in their last 13 matches, um, and that was a narrow 2-1 victory against Aston Villa. So, realistically, if Sheffield had a chance of getting a result, it was probably that game against Brighton, wasn't it? They needed those three points to give them any chance of picking themselves up off the bottom of the table. I just, yeah, I can't see them getting anything against against Everton at all. They, they're definitely looking like a really solid team again. They had that little wobble where they didn't look so good and now they're back to their best, I think. So it's looking like a fairly one-sided game. The thing is, we've, we've all said this for pretty much all the games so far. It looks like a fair, really obvious result and... Just knowing the Premier League the way we do, there's going to be at least one or two results this this weekend that absolutely shock us all, especially in a busy period over Christmas. There's going to be strange results that happen due to fatigue and form and resting players. And, you know, maybe this is potentially going to be one of them. You wonder if, if Everton did maybe drop one or two of their players to rest them, viewing this as an easy game. Maybe it would be a chance for Sheffield to get a shock result, but I, I can't see it. I really can't see it. And I, I think I'm probably wishful thinking on behalf of Sheffield United fans there. I can only see a Sheffield United win. However, Everton have played midweek a really strong team against Man United. It's pretty much full strength. And with Carlson at the moment, having gone off the pitch with concussion, he might be missing that game. And I think when they went through their rough patch, it was during his suspension. Calvert-Lewin has been fantastic throughout the season. However, I think Carlson is actually the real key, key player in how that team takes. They need his pace up front, the way he can break, get breaks into really good spaces and spreads the defence so Calvert-Lewin can get in and get the incredible amount of goals he scored. Saying all that, I still think everything will be far too good for Sheffield United. I think, like you said, Brighton were the key game. They really needed to get that win. I think you pointed out many weeks ago, possibly a couple of months ago, that Sheffield United had a very difficult run-up all the way up to Christmas and you... You predicted all the way back then that they're probably not going to win another game. And it's turned out to be the case. Surely that then means if they don't get the win against Everton, they must be down. Theoretically, they're not actually that many points off getting out of the relegation zone. It only takes one really good month and they'd be already there or thereabouts. But I just can't see how they're going to turn the season around in that type of form. And I, I don't see them sacking Wilder either, because if they're going to do it, they would have done it by now, you'd think. Yeah, actually, I think their chairman came out in the week and said that they won't sack him regardless of relegation. So I think he's there for the long haul. And it's very rare that you see a team probably going down bottom stick with their manager. But if they do it, then fair play to them. And it'll be interesting to see how it pans out. But yeah, as for this season, I think Sheffield United are down already. And I kind of think that Brighton result was pivotal, actually. I mean, going 1-0 up with 10 men, it was looking like a huge result for them. Um, But then to concede so late on to a very sloppy, defensively poor goal was almost like a a kick in the teeth for Sheffield United and I don't see them recovering. I think that one against Leicester was bad enough, but now this one against Brighton too is 
is a real sucker punch and I think it's going to kill the rest of their season. So, yeah, without further ado, uh, my prediction, 2-0 Everton. Really can't see where the goal is coming from for Sheffield United full stop. And Peter, what have you gone for? 2-0? No, I was just frantically checking my notes thinking, oh, please don't. Don't have a 2 0 down there. But no, I've gone for a 1 0 on this, actually. I think, obviously, at the time that I was making these predictions, I was thinking about the fact that Everton have um, have played midweek and potentially got a bit of fatigue, some players that might be rested. So, yeah, still a win for Everton, but maybe just a narrow one. And I've gone for, so we've got all different results. I've gone for a 3 0 Everton when I think throughout the season, Sheffield United, especially recently, have conceded three quite a few times. And I think this could be a, another case where they're just going to be too strong for them, Everton. Far too strong. OK, next up, we've got Leeds versus Burnley at Ellen Road. And this was probably one of the most difficult matches to predict um, of the weekend for me. Yeah, nearly impossible for me to decide one team over the other. Both teams are massively inconsistent. No patches of form where you can say that either team have been particularly excelling or, or disappointing. And, you know, it's a really difficult one to call. But yeah, that, that Leeds performance at Manchester United was very, very significant, in my opinion. I think it just showcased everyone how Leeds are so unwilling to shake up their system, despite something obviously isn't going your way. It was a very reluctant performance from them to change, and I think it really cost them in that match. And shipping six goals is, you know, pretty inexcusable. I don't think Bielsa will be happy about it. I think it's the first time him as a manager has conceded six goals since 1992 when he was managing... Um, Newell's old boys so that's a good fact for you all but yeah as for Leeds like so unpredictable every week we saw the weekend before that they beat Newcastle 5-2 and then the next week they concede six goals so almost impossible to predict what Leeds performance you want to get and then you look at Burnley as well who are really starting to turn things around this season um, the last four performances they've been pretty solid back to their best in defence and they're very difficult to break, break down at the moment and yeah as for Leeds it'll be an interesting test for them to see if they can break down a very steady and solid defence because not many teams have been able to do it recently and you know Burnley over the last four games have looked so much better than how they started the season very much like yourself I struggled over this one and I was trying to think about the clashes it's often mentioned in boxing that styles make matches and I've been trying to think how will this game play out because obviously Burnley are much more rigid side much more defensively sound and they play a more direct style of football whereas Leeds on the other hand are a high pressing insane team in the way they play at times they'll throw seven players forward at with two minutes to go in a game even if they're two nil got two goals down and i couldn't decide how it was going to be i did I was like maybe could this could be one of the games which is just a goal fest or will it go the other way and lead to a bit of a boring match and sadly in the end i think it's going to lead more towards that i think burnley might almost be like the type of kryptonite to how leeds play yeah it's definitely the, the hardest game to call so far this this game week and i think that's testament really to how Burnley have, have really recovered from a, a really poor start. And they've definitely put in some much, much better performances over the last few weeks. I I think this is going to be a really, really even game, really even game. And I think both teams are going to struggle to break the other team down. And unfortunately, I've got to agree with Angus. I think it's probably going to become a bit more of a boring stalemate than, than anything other than that. As much as we've seen some very, very entertaining games from Leeds this season, I don't think Burnley have got enough to demolish Leeds the way some teams have. And I also don't think Leeds have got enough to really break down that Burnley defence in the way that some teams have against them as well. So, yeah, it's going to be fairly even. I may as well jump straight into my prediction on the back of that, which is um, I've gone for a 1-1 draw. You're not going to believe this, Peter. On my paper, I have written down 1-1. 
Yeah, I mean, I wish I could say a different score variation than that. Maybe I'll go, you know what, I'll go over 2-2 instead. But to be honest, I think it's got draw written all over it. I think there are two teams who will struggle to to really get the better of the other. And that should hopefully lead for an entertaining game. But I wanted 1-1, but I'll go 2-2 for the variety. And in my notes, even up to this point, I've still left it blank, this one. I I couldn't decide what I was going to go with. And I think a blank blank has to be a nil-nil, let's be honest. There's always going to be a board draw over the Christmas break. There has to be, surely. Moving on to our next game, we've got West Ham hosting Brighton. I've mentioned earlier, Brighton won win in their last 13 in all competitions. Enter West Ham, as the old cliche goes. But actually, no, I, I am going to back West Ham in this game. I think, you know, disappointing defeat against Chelsea, but we would do a bad performance in it. I'd, I'd rather those bad performances come against teams that are clearly got the ability to win games like that anyway than than against the weaker team. So I do think West Ham will win this, especially if good chance that Antonio is going to be back fit for this game. So it'd be interesting to see how he comes back into the team, whether he starts, whether that means Haller drops, whether it means we play Haller and Antonio up front together with you know Ben Rama and Fornells and Bowen behind. Who knows how it's going to line up? Only Moyes knows that. Just Brighton's form is the only thing that I just look at and I just think I cannot see a David Moyes team the way we've been playing allowing a Brighton team that cannot get a win for love nor money I, I just can't see him allowing them to win this game so it's got to be a West Ham win for me yeah for all the pretty football Brighton's played at times this season they have been throughout and we've mentioned it we've all mentioned it at times they've never had that clinical edge to them they are at times one of the nicest teams to watch out of any relegation battling side I've ever seen I think at times they look really good. However, it's not enough. Let's be perfectly honest. I think Norwich last season played some really good football at times. They went down after getting dropped several times. And I think West Ham, like you said, I think a, a Moyes team is always built upon solid basics. And I think you've got that down to a T at the moment. And then you have the players like Bowen and Haller and you have Antonio coming back. Players who can add that little bit more something special to the game. And I think you're just going to be too strong all over the pitch. I, I think you're going to be relatively comfortable winners out of this game. Yeah, for Brighton, this is a pretty big game, I guess. Um, obviously, without a win in several games now, 13, like Peter said, one win in 13 is just not good enough in the Premier League. And if they're going to start turning things around, it's got to be in games like this where they're up against teams who they would probably like to think they're, you know, have a chance against. And yeah, as bad as Brighton were against Sheffield United, I thought they did pretty well to get back into the game. They could have easily folded having you know, gone 1-0 down against 10 men, but they got the goal through Danny Welbeck and he definitely looks like their most potent player this season, which is something I didn't think I'd be saying six months ago. He's really come into that team and, and started to, to change the way that Brighton are playing, especially offensively. And if they are going to get anything out of this game, I think they'll be relying heavily on, on Welbeck. Um, but they are slipping down the league. Like you said, they've just not played well. Despite starting the season playing some good football, they've been slipping down the table. Yeah, as for West Ham, that, that Chelsea result wasn't great. But before that, you know, it was pretty positive and David Moy seems to be doing a good job. I'm not as optimistic as Peter in saying that this is going to be a convincing West Ham win. I do think Brighton will start to turn things around at some point. I guess does hope for Peter's sake that it's not in this game. Yeah, we'll move on to some predictions. And I actually think this is going to be the first nil-nil of the weekend. Um, unfortunately, I just don't see Antonio maybe being as potent as he is normally coming back from injury. And I don't know if he'll hit the ground running. And without him, I do think that West Ham lose a lot of impetus. And as for Brighton, I think they might just scrape a point in this one. I think it'll be a really good point for them as well. I'm going to go with, and Peter once pointed out early on the season how much I'd been predicting for West Ham not to do well. So 
recently I've been consistently saying they're going to do well, and I'm going to say 2-0 to West Ham, and I think it's going to be comfortable. I just don't see... Brighton will have possession, and for large parts of the game they'll have possession, but I just don't think they'll do anything with it, to be perfectly honest, and I think West Ham will break them down and get the goals. Well, I'm pleased to see neither of you predicting Brighton to get a goal, which is uh, nice and reassuring for me. I've gone for a 3-0 West Ham win. I think we, we're due a, a good emphatic victory against someone. We've had quite a few games that, where we've won by one goal. Um, I think it's been a while since we've beaten a team 3 or 4-0. So, yeah, I think this is our opportunity to do it, get a nice Christmas win against Brighton and send them further down the table and move us back up towards those European places. Uh, moving on to our next game, we've got Liverpool against West Brom, first in the table against 19th in the table. You almost can't get much further apart than that. But it is a West Brom with a newly appointed Sam Allardyce. His first game in charge didn't go particularly to plan with a 3-0 defeat against Aston Villa. But, you know, we all know what Allardyce is like. And if there's a game that Liverpool are going to struggle to score goals in, you think maybe Allardyce might be the manager to do it. Personally, I don't think that will happen. But um, there's there's always a possibility with an Allardyce team. Yeah, like you said, very difficult to predict anything else when one team's at the top of the league and the other was almost dead bottom. And that Liverpool performance against Crystal Palace was something to behold. Seven goals, seven really, really good goals as well. Probably the most complete performance I've seen of Liverpool this season. Absolutely dismantled Crystal Palace and very hard to look beyond them in this matchup, especially Salah will probably be back in the team, even though he had a great impact off the bench against Palace. I think he'll start this game and Liverpool will be pretty much as full strength as they can be at this point. As for West Brom, yes, they've got Sam Allardyce, but as we saw in that last game, he hasn't changed things yet. Um, I think he will definitely start to have an impact on the way they play and probably be a little bit more safe and less risky in, the, in terms of how they play and keeping out the goals. And I do think that will start to, to play a part later on in the season, but I don't see it playing a part straight away, unfortunately, for them. And I do think this is a very dangerous game for them if we saw what they could do against Crystal Palace. I don't think West Brom are going to put up much more of a fight than Palace did. Liverpool at times this season have looked shaky at the start, but they, they're really coming into their stride now. They've had some massive wins. The 4-0 against Wolves, 7-0 against Palace... The 2-1 against Spurs, they looked really good at times. They, yes, Spurs had a few opportunities. And me, Jose has come out saying, in my eyes, utter crap, that they were the better team. I don't think they were. I think we're really starting to see this Liverpool team fly. This is a match where they're just going to be considerably too strong for West Brom. Yeah, just a couple of uh, facts, actually, from that last Liverpool performance, and uh, complete team performance, is that all seven goals were assisted by different players. I think it's the first time that's ever happened in Premier League history. So each goal was assisted by someone else. And I think that just highlights how good they were all over the pitch. Every single player had a part to play in every goal. And also that win made Klopp Liverpool's most successful manager in history. Um, so something that I'm sure he's very proud of and something I can see him building on now. I think he's obviously going to be at Liverpool for some time and that record's only ever going to get stronger. So credit to the job he's done at Liverpool and credit to the, the team that he's built there. And yeah, onto my prediction, which is just a 3-0 Liverpool win. I don't think West Brom are going to ship as many goals as Palace did, but yeah, it's going to be very difficult for Sam Allardyce to get anything out of this game. In a very similar vein, I've gone with a 4-0 Liverpool win. I think they're really going to be building that pressure up now and... It's just going to be torturous for the West Brom fans and for the fans of the other teams around the league who think they've their side's got a chance of winning the league because I think this might be the start of the march towards back-to-back titles for Klopp. Yeah, continuing the theme of this episode, it's a 4-0 win to Liverpool for me. 
we've clearly just all got too good at these predictions. We know the way each other think <laughs> because they're just very scarily consistent. But yeah, I think it's hard to look past it. The, the only thing that made me think twice was the whole Allardyce effect of the team becoming more defensive. But West Brom showed none of that against Aston Villa. And I think he's, as, as you said, Angus, I think this might be his toughest job yet in terms of keeping the team in the league. So I think Liverpool could make a really early marker of that if they demolish West Brom in this game. So moving on to the final game of the the weekend, the Christmas match day that we have, we've got Wolves facing Tottenham, a game that again historically has been a bit of a goal fest and quite an exciting match over the last couple of seasons. Wolves sitting in eleventh in the table, which is fairly disappointing for them considering their form the last couple of seasons, and Tottenham in sixth, which again fairly disappointing considering the way they started the season. So two teams who will be looking to work their way back up the league to a better position and where they really feel they should be. Yeah, both teams' forms really dropped away in the last last week or two. Um, it's gone from Spurs looking like they are going to be the the serious title contenders, the seal, the serious challengers to Liverpool this season, to, dare I say it, bottling it again. They're big games, Liverpool and Leicester back-to-back, and they, they were poor in both of my eyes. People were praising Mourinho in terms of the pragmatic approach he's taken to some of his games this season. But I think he went too far against Liverpool and Leicester. I think they didn't offer enough going forwards. And in this match, it's, like you said, it's a very difficult one to predict how this is going to go because Wolves are equally poor form. The way they got thrashed by Liverpool, the loss to Villa, the loss to Burnley in their last game. That's, that They've all result Well, not the Liverpool game, but the Villa and Burnley results, which are really bad sign of where they are at the moment however on the other hand on the whole Wolves against big teams do perform really well their style of football of counter-attacking and the pace could mean that this is their dream type of game I would agree with you had um, Raul Jimenez not been injured this season I think he's played a huge part in Wolves's drop-off in form without him and their team they just look like they lack a spearhead they look like they lack impetus they look like they lack a little bit of hold-up play and they don't really have anyone to come in and play that same position for them which is something they definitely need to address in January in my opinion obviously they got that good win against Chelsea uh, in the week but then coming off that they, they lost against Burnley which obviously is a very poor result from a Wolves point of view and they would expect better in that game I guess one good thing that came out of that is the first goal for Fabio Silva which is something probably Wolves fans really wanted to see and I think now he's got one he's more likely to go on and and you know score a couple and I think for Wolves' sake, it's really important that he does. Um, as for as for Spurs, I do feel like they're starting to bottle it a little bit. You know, we've seen with Kane and Son, they've just not been themselves the last couple of games. Against Liverpool, they were effective, but not massively. And then, especially against Leicester, they just looked... Maybe they were a little bit tired, if anything, because they've had to play so many games in such a short amount of time that maybe they're just a little bit fatigued and, and starting to lose that chemistry they had early on in the season. But in games like this, I could see Gareth Bale maybe getting a start. I think he scored in the week in the League Cup and I think he's going to be pushing for a starting spot soon if these two aren't quite at it. So it'd be interesting to see if Mourinho rolls the dice and gives him a start. Probably not because he doesn't like to change a, a, a team that has a solid base, which is kind of what Tottenham have done this season. Again, this is quite a difficult game to call, but Tottenham haven't been at it recently in either of Wolves. So is that going to play a part in this, res- this match-off? I'm not too sure, but hopefully not. Right, going into some predictions, then I'm actually going to go for a 2-1 Tottenham win. I think they're going to break out of their funk a little bit and, and turn it on. 
they got a good win in the week in the League Cup and you'd expect them to, to build some momentum off that. And against a Wolves side who haven't been at their best in the last couple of weeks, it should be a fairly comfortable win. But I'm actually going to go for a 2-1 and maybe Fabio Silva gives them the lead, but then Tottenham come back to win it. Uh, I'm going to go for a draw in this game as well, actually. I've got I've gone for Wolves 2, Spurs 2. I think plenty of goals. I, I think, yeah, we, we have seen Tottenham dip off in their defensive capabilities um so i can see wolves getting goals even without jimenez and yeah i think a, a, a 2-2 draw seems fairly likely in my opinion yeah with much thought into the result that's going to have kind of gone with a it's going to be slow tempo i'm going to say in 1-1 draw okay so moving on to takeaways from the previous weekend and generally the season so far i guess the overwhelming feeling this season is that it's very difficult to predict we've seen some freak results we almost get a freak result every weekend at the moment and Arguably, it's probably the most unpredictable season ever. Yeah, I guess it'd be interesting to see what you guys think. But for me, you know, some of the results that you see week in, week out at the moment, you saw with Leeds last time, last weekend against Manchester United and previously, I guess they're the perfect team for this really in that they won a game 5-2 one week and then they lost 6-2 the next. So yeah, what do you guys think? Is it the most unpredictable season we've had in the Premier League? For what I can remember, I'd say it is. And I'm loving how inconsistent it is. I'm loving the chaos and the way teams each week in, week out, you don't know who's going to play well, who's not going to be on the top of the game, who's going to get spanked that week, who's the next week's going to be incredibly defensive. It's it's amazing to watch. Long may it last because it's really enjoyable. Yes, yeah, it's, it's been all over the place really, hasn't it? I mean, there's been certain teams that have performed exactly as you'd expect them to, but for the majority of it, I don't think many of us, if you'd said predict the league table as it is now uh, at Christmas, if you'd asked us at the start of the season, I don't think many of the teams would be in the positions that you would have predicted them to be in. So even aside from the individual games being unpredictable, I think the overall league table is completely outside of what anyone would have expected. So it's exciting to see that because there have been seasons in the past where it's just been really, really monotonous and just sort of sleepwalking to a finish from almost after the first two or three game weeks. But, you know, even the fact that teams like Sheffield United have done so badly to start with adds that element of unpredictability. Are we going to see the lowest point tally in the history of the Premier League or are we going to see the most miraculous comeback of any team ever in the Premier League that you know it's I think I feel like it's going to be one or the other so there's there's definitely elements of unpredictability for every team in there which is definitely great not just as a fan of a particular team in the Premier League but it must be great if you're a neutral fan as well just to be able to sit back and watch it all unfolding and then yeah talking of sort of unpredictability I mean one of the teams that we've said in the past that we've, we've struggled to sort of predict their games. They're the focus of our first question this week, which is, is Marco Bielsa's Cavalier style of play fundamentally unsuited to the Premier League, despite being dominant in the Championship? And I think what, what that's really getting at is the with the Man United result this weekend, Leeds played in a style of football that fundamentally did not suit playing against a team with the attacking capabilities of Man United. And also just the, the the fact that they've got four centre-backs in that team who are injured at the moment, but they still insist on playing this style of play where they fly forward up the pitch all of the time and leave themselves defensively exposed. It seems to be a refusal from Bielsa to adapt his tactics or his style of play to suit the, the opposition they're playing against. I'm interested to see what you guys think about how that sort of affects the season overall. To me, it almost strikes as a, as a, like a drop of arrogance to the way Bielsa manages at times. Like... It's his style, his format of play, or no, no go. Like it's, they're not going to change it. They're not going to adapt to the situation of the game. It's got only enough results so far to put them relatively comfortable in the league. I don't 
I don't think at any point our Leeds going to be in a relegation battle this season. I think they're going to have enough to win enough games throughout the season. I think that is going to be the big thing about this style of football is they are going to lose games, but at the same time, they are going to win enough games to be safe. However, will that be enough to then take them on to the next step in a year's time, two years' time? I, one, I don't think Bielsa will stay for a huge amount of time for there. He's traditionally been a manager who stays with a club for two to three seasons. And I think his style of football is one of the reasons why. I don't think players can keep it up for that long. Yeah, I'm not sure it's arrogance from a Bielsa point of view. I think it's quite smart, I guess, in some ways, that he knows that that style of football is going to be better or good enough to beat the majority of the teams in the Premier League. Yes, it's not going to phase teams like Manchester United, like we saw at the weekend, or you know the top six sides in the Premier League. But against the lower teams, like we've seen this season, it's going to blow them away. They're not used to that intensity, the pressing, the whole way through the 90 minutes, and it's something that very few teams are uh, equipped to do. But yeah, I think consistency is the key for Leeds. And I guess with the style that Bielsa's enforcing, they're probably not going to be all that consistent over the course of a season. Probably is quite problematic from a fan base and, and the manager's point of view because you do want to pick up points fairly regularly. But like you said, Angus, I do think they're going to be fine this season playing this way. Whether Bielsa stays long term, it'll be interesting to see. But I think if he's given the money in January or the summer, I think he'll definitely be able to build a team that can fully implement this style of play. And next season, we'll see him go again with a similar style and probably you know execute it a bit better than they have done so far. Yeah, I guess it really comes down to where where Leeds want to be. Do they want to be a team that is consistent enough over the season with their style of play to pick up enough points to stay in the Premier League each season? Or do they want to be getting back to the heights of where they were in seasons past, where they were you know, up there with the very top challenging to be you know, winning the Premier League. And I think that's really what the fans want. I think that's what the board want. That's what the players want and what the manager wants. So if they're going to do that, I do have concerns that that style of play is not going to be conducive to them getting to that top level because, you know, very different styles of play, but we've seen it to an extent this season with Sheffield United and, and Chris Wilder that they've come up and they've played a very distinctive style of football and teams this year seem to have worked them out. And, and they can't achieve it anymore. If that happens to Bielsa's leads next season, I think despite new signings coming in to rejuvenate that team, it's going to be difficult for them, especially considering the fact that we know how much Bielsa demands of his players. And if you're a new signing coming in, it's going to take you a while to get up to the speed and intensity of the way that he will demand you play. So there's a danger that bringing in new players actually has a negative effect on that team. Bielsa he is clearly an absolute genius when it comes to football. He's he, He's so tactically aware, so diligent in his research and his analysis, but is that sustainable over a long period of time? I'm not sure. And I wish it was because I think we all love watching Leeds play the way they do. And I think for the nostalgic Premier League fan out there, you'd love to see Leeds up there challenging with Man United and Chelsea and Liverpool for for getting to the top of the league. Um, One thing I will say is that if Bielsa does leave Leeds, I do think they'll struggle without him. I think because their players are so used to playing that way now, if another manager comes in with a different philosophy, different tactics, they'll struggle to adapt to that. So the longer they stick with him, I think it's, I guess, beneficial for Leeds. But at the end of the day, he's going to leave one day and someone else is going to come in and bring in something different. So it's, it's a dangerous place for Leeds to be. But at the moment, I'm sure they're enjoying the free-flowing attacking football, if not so much the, uh, the leakiness at the back. OK, moving on to our next question. And it is... Uh, West Ham are currently 10 points behind Liverpool and Southampton are only 7 points behind the leaders. Do you think either team will be able to finish in the top 6 this season? 
I guess this is an apt question to be asking this podcast since we're two Southampton fans and a West Ham fans. I'm sure we're probably going to be giving you very biased opinions here. Both sides have started the season ridiculously well. I don't think any of us would have predicted the start that our teams have had. So you would hope that we can carry on and, and maintain this momentum that we've all started with. But as you know, in the Premier League, results are very unpredictable and you never really know which result your team are going to get at the weekend. I think as a Southampton fan, I'm, I'm fairly optimistic we can finish inside the top 10. Whether we can get top six is a completely different challenge, in my opinion. Yes, we started well up until this point, but we've seen what can happen after a couple of bad results. You do start to fall down the table, and that's what we've done now. If we can pick it back up and perhaps make one or two signings in January, I do see us potentially pushing for Europe, but I do think it's a big ask. And I guess it's a similar thing with West Ham I do think their squad depth is probably just going to let them down in terms of pushing for Europe I think they are being exposed a little bit at the moment without their spearhead that is Antonio without him they don't look like the side they are with him and he's a very difficult man to replace for them so unfortunately I would like to say we could finish top six at a push but as for West Ham I think top 10 will be pretty comfortable for them but Europe potentially just out of reach yeah sadly I have to agree with you I I do think the squad depth is going to be the main problem that we encounter this season. I think that was summed up in our game against Chelsea in that, you know, we've got a couple of key injuries to Lanzini getting injured in this game and um, Antonio wasn't able to play. Masuaku now missing a a left wing back who's been a key player for us there. And with those three injuries, we're now resorting to playing Mark Noble as a number 10 against Chelsea, which is never really going to be conducive to us getting a, a top six finish. I do think we'll finish top 10. Um, it's a massive improvement on what I thought we would have, especially considering, um, I think you probably remember what I mentioned a few episodes ago, I had placed a bet on West Ham being bottom at Christmas. We're actually 19 points above that, which is uh, a massive improvement on where I thought we would be. So can't be too sad. But yeah, I think top six is probably a push. On the other side for Southampton, I agree completely with what you've said. A couple of signings, a bit of reinforcement, and there's no reason you can't push for that. The, the form has been there. The performances have been there. The tactical side has been there. The only thing I do worry about is how many other teams potentially have that capability of getting it. And at the end of the day, there's only six places available up there. So it's going to be it's going to be tough to make sure consistently over the, the rest of the season that Southampton are one of those teams that, that stay in that position. But it's definitely a possibility. If, if there's been a season where there's a good chance of getting into Europe, this is definitely it. Yeah, having a, just a, a quick thought about the top six teams, well, top seven teams uh, in the league at the moment, I think that's going to be the reason why neither team's probably going to make Europe. I think you've got Liverpool, City, Chelsea, United are probably going to be your top four. Possibly Leicester up there, possibly Spurs. Then you also have Everton as well, I think are your top seven strongest sides in the league. I think Everton will be the team which will be on the cusp. I think Southampton and West Ham both could potentially challenge them throughout the season to try and get if there is sometimes Europa League goes down to seventh and if if Europa League goes to seventh this season then I think there'll be a few teams on the cusp and challenging for that spot I think both teams are very happy for top 10 if we can get if both teams come out with eighth and ninth I think we'd both all three of us would love it it'd be a great season for all three because all both teams were potentially touted as teams which might be in that bottom seven or eight teams but and I don't think either team could be anywhere near that all season all right that brings an end to another episode of the 3pl podcast thanks again to everyone who continues to listen and support the podcast make sure you're following us across all of our social media at 3pl podcast on facebook instagram and twitter and also make sure you're subscribed on our youtube channel to make sure you never miss an episode we'll catch you guys again next year